Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. Today we're looking at Lord's Day 4, question 9 to 11 in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we have a Bible text as well for to read. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 to verse 28. And it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So in this lesson we're looking at excuses that people think that they might make on judgment day, and we're seeing why all the excuses of men and women will be utterly useless. But before we do that, let's do a quick recap on what we've already learned from the Catechism. We've learned that in order to be content in life and comforted in death, we must know three things. We must appreciate the depth of our sin and the misery that it brings us. We must understand then the greatness of our salvation, and we must know the proper response and gratitude to what God has done in saving us. Let's think of the first of those. For that's what we have covered in our last three lessons. How do we know that we are sinners? We know that from the law of God, which sets out the demands of God for those who want to have true fellowship with him. And that law we have broken. The law of God convicts our conscience of sin, so that we flee to Christ for mercy, who alone was able to fulfill the law for us. We learned then that men and women were not always so wicked and sinful, that they were created as righteous and holy, male and female, in the image of God, and were innocent of any sin, even sinful thoughts. It was when Adam and Eve disobeyed God that they brought sin into the world, and death through sin. And the image of God in us then was distorted and was destroyed. The only way that image could be restored was by being made completely over again, totally remade, recreated, which Jesus called being born again. Being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit, who without any aid whatsoever from us regenerates us, brings us spiritual life instead of death, and makes us fit to enter into paradise with our Creator. But now we must go a step further, and we must see the ultimate end of man who one day will stand before God and give account of his works done in this life. And as we know, all of our works, even our most righteous works, fall short of God's standards and condemn us deservedly to the lake of fire. It's that judgment that we want to learn a little bit about today or rather instead, some of the ideas that people have that stops them from 
preparing to meet their God. Some common misconceptions. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So there are four common misconceptions that people have about the day of judgment, the day when this life will end and they will stand before God. The first one is that there is nothing after this life. The second one is that God is not fair when he judges us. The third one, why would God judge me when he made me the way I am? And the fourth one, God is love. And he's far too loving and merciful to punish me. We're going to look at those one after the other, just briefly. The first one of those is that there is nothing after life. A death is the end of everything. And that's one of the most common beliefs held today. The belief that when the body dies, there is no more for us. Now, the Bible totally refutes this notion. And it does so in that text that we read at the beginning of this lesson from Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 to 28. It is appointed unto man to die. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So the book of Hebrews tells us that there is death, and then there is judgment. I'm told that just before the death of actor W.C. Fields, a friend visited Fields' hospital room, and he was surprised to find him thumbing through a Bible. Asked what he was doing with a Bible, Fields allegedly replied, I'm looking for loopholes. There are no loopholes. Death is appointed. The scriptures teach us that our days are numbered, that there is a time to be born and a time to die. And we don't know when that time to die is, but we are told that the appointment is already made. It is appointed for man to die. And that will be once and once only. There is no second chance at this. We get one go at this life and one only. We don't get the opportunity to come back and do it all again. There's no karma. There's no reincarnation. It is appointed unto man to die just once. And then there's after. After that comes judgment. And here's the problem. Not a lot of people will agree with my analysis up to now. But what happens after death really is the sticking point. An earnest pastor visited a woman in a Belfast hospital. She had a terminal illness and she'd been told that she would soon be at the end of her life. The pastor wanted to be sure of her salvation. So he asked, Do you know where you will be after you die? She confidently replied with great assurance, Oh yes, Pastor, I know very well where I am going, and I am ready to go. The pastor was greatly relieved, so he prayed with her, thanking God that she was saved and had a heavenly mansion awaiting for her. And after his Amen, he went to take his leave. Goodbye, Liz, he said, and again, I'm so glad to know your eternal destiny. 
Oh, aye, said Liz, it's all sorted out. I'm going up to Roselawn, the local cemetery. That's where she was going, she thought, after she died. She'd made all the necessary arrangements for her funeral. She'd provided for her body to be buried, but had she prepared for her soul? So Hebrews makes it abundantly clear that there is a time, an appointment already made for each one of us, when we will depart from this world for the very last time, and we will stand before God in judgment. It's described for us in Revelation chapter 11, where we read the account of the great white throne. It would be worth spending some time to read that chapter and to see once again what that will involve. The second common misconception that we find being talked about today is that God isn't fair. The Heidelberg Catechism question 9 asks, But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? The answer we must give to that is no, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. The actor Stephen Fry is an atheist and a sceptic, apparently. Some time ago he was interviewed by the Irish TV personality Mr Gay Byrne about his views on God and eternity. And he was asked what he would say when he died, what he would say to God. His reply was typical of an atheist or a sceptic. He would say to God, bone cancer and children, what's all that about? Fry then proceeded to launch into a powerful description of how evil and stupid God is to allow suffering that we have not brought upon ourselves. It's an argument you will often hear among sceptics. God is not fair. The catechist anticipated that argument. That's why he asked, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? And look at that reply and think about it. God so created man that he was able to do it. Genesis 1 and verse 31. When God created the world, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. But the fact is that Stephen Fry, or you or me, or any other sinner, we will not answer back to God on Judgment Day. We will not level any accusations against him. We will not question his judgment, nor will we question his sovereign will. We will stand condemned under the law, and our mouths will be stopped, and we will not even need to be cast into eternal death, although that will be our fate outside of Christ. But we will flee from the holiness of his presence and we will want to get away from the blinding light of God's holiness. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul reminds us, Now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. You're a sinner. You've never been saved. 
and you stand before God in your sins without Christ, you won't open your mouth. Your mouth will be stopped. You will recognize that under the law, you are guilty. But here's another frequent excuse. Why would God judge me or punish me for my sins when God created me just as I am? And God, after all, loves us just the way we are, doesn't he? Such reasoning renders the death of Jesus on the cross as totally pointless. What was the point of Jesus dying for our sins if God accepts us just as we are? because we're all born as sinners and there are no exceptions and we all need to be saved and saved by grace alone. It's not God's fault, it's ours. The Catechist says, But man, at the instigation of the devil, John chapter 8 and verse 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. Man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Man, at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. You see, we sin because we are sinners. The Catechist said God is terribly displeased with our original sin, as well as our actual sins. Therefore he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what is God's standard for judgment on that day? As he has declared, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Galatians 3 and verse 10. God made me like this is no excuse on judgment day. Originally God made us perfect. He made us innocent in the Garden of Eden. What made us like this is sin, the sinful nature that we've inherited from our first parents and the actual sins that we commit every day. Question 10. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? The answer is certainly not. He is terribly displeased with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally, as he has declared. We need to be born again. 
We need to be regenerated. We need new life. We need to be born from above if we're ever going to have any hope of entering our eternal rest in heaven. Our last and final misconception that is commonly held is that people will say, you know, God is a God of love. He's too merciful, too loving to punish me. I've heard this so many times. How could a God of love be so cruel as to send me to hell forever and ever? Read our text again. And learn from it that Christ has come to offer you his love in mercy and forgiveness. Verse 28 in Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. And when he appears the second time, he will come not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He'll come to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He will come again to receive believers, his church, unto himself. He has been offered as a sacrifice once. That will not happen again. It cannot happen again. When Jesus comes back, it will not be a saviour. It will be as a stern judge. The Catechist in question 11 asks, But is God not also merciful? The answer is, God is indeed merciful. But he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the Most High Majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of both body and soul. God is merciful. Psalm 103, verse 8-9 to reminds us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But the punishment must fit the crime. Hebrews 10 and verse 30 For we know him who saith vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, God is just, and he will not demand that punishment be applied twice. He has sent his Son to the cross, who has borne our punishment. And for those of us who know him and love him and trust him and have repented of our sins, God has placed the punishment due for our sins upon his sinless Son. He will not demand that punishment be applied twice, and we are set free. So yes, we have a merciful God. But that mercy was extended to us at Calvary, where Jesus died on the cross for sinners. If we reject the cross, we have rejected his mercy, and we have no right to stand and plead God's mercy when it is too late, when we are standing before the judgment throne and the probationary period of this life has ended. In Romans 5 and verse 8, Paul wrote, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we've learned today 
that when we stand before God, excuses won't do. A way of salvation has already been provided, and there is only one way on that great judgment day that we will not encounter the terrible wrath of God, and that is to come through Christ and him crucified. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.